Hey, I'm Clayton. And I'm Sean. And we're men who like men who like movies. We're two queer men who love movies, and we love talking about movies. And after a lot of urging, we started a podcast. This week, to commemorate the holidays, we decided to do a listener request. So, what did we watch this week, Clayton? Well, my friend Dustin and friend of the show requested that we cover fried green tomatoes which incidentally i thought i had seen but i had not so this was my first time with this and uh wow it's a doozy (laughs) wow (laughs) and uh thankfully after seeing this um we've got a very special guest my dear friend kendall walton She is a broadcast journalist and producer in Oklahoma. She focuses on underrepresented communities in the news and also considers herself an LGBT plus activist who regularly publicly speaks and presents on topics like correct LGBT plus representation in the media and is a wonderful friend. Thank you so much for coming on, Kendall. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Yeah, this will be, be awesome. Here. So, Kendall, why did you pick Fried Green Tomatoes? What's your relationship with this movie? It's just one of those good Southern movies that has, I don't know, been talked about in my family. It's one of my grandma and my mom's favorites. And so I just finally gave in one day. I was wanting a good heart, you know, a good heartwarming movie. And I landed on this one. Nice, nice. Sean, what about you? What is your relationship to this? Um, so the first time I saw this was when my parents bought it on DVD. Um, I think it was like two thousand and three. That's very specific. <laughs> I don't know. I, my brain does that weird specific thing sometimes. Like, <laughs> but I remember they got it on DVD and we were watching it and. I remember I was like, oh, I like this. And then I went on like a Southern Charm kick and I watched this and Steel Magnolias when I was like 17. And I was like, oh, this is so much better. <laughs> and that's I mean, that's basically I don't have a lot of story with it. I do enjoy this movie a lot. I think it's really good. I Anything Kathy Bates is in, I'm generally down for. So <laughs> I love that both of you guys have actually seen it, and I've spent all these years thinking I had seen it and started watching it and realized I'd only seen the opening scene and that's it. Ah. <laughs> uh, anyway, would you guys recommend this to people? Um Sean. Absolutely. Um I I really it, this is a good film. Um it's got a lot to say. Um not all of it I think holds up in some ways, um in little things, but I do think there's a lot to say that's important in it. So, yes, I would definitely recommend. Kendall? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of like Kathy Bates's most underrated performances. Um what her character goes through in her character arc is just really powerful and so I would recommend it. I think it's a really good movie. I would recommend it too. I'd never seen it, but I would definitely recommend this after seeing I mean, I just watched it twice within twenty four hours and I was like, I'm not mad at this. Um, so I think it's time to get into this because there is a lot to get into. What about y'all? 
Oh, I agree. Oh, also, I wanted to mention, if I sound a little off, it is because I am not feeling good today. I just wanted to mention that now, so people weren't just like, what is going on with that man? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just want, yes, we could definitely get into this. <laughs> awesome. Spoilers ahead. This movie is 31 years old, going on 32, for those keeping track. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's like he he likes to do that considering this movie came out i don't know what five months after i was born Mm -hmm. six Mm -hmm. shut up (laughs) so i am slightly older than frankie tomatoes (laughs) the movie i'm older than you i don't know why you're the one that gets so offended every time (laughs) you're well you're almost as old as the book so Oh, that's that's fair. <laughs> um, speaking of the book, this is based on the novel Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg from 1987. It was directed by John Avnet with a screenplay originally by Carol Sobieski. Sobieski? I don't know. I'm going to go with Sobieski. Um, but I don't know. It always her makes version of this. Yes, who I also don't know how to pronounce her last name, but I love her. Sobieski, I think. Um, Sorry. Yeah, that's why I'm going with it. She wrote a script for this, and it wasn't the direction they wanted to go, but she still got a screenwriting credit and an Oscar nomination. And then the author of the book, Franny Flagg, came in to write a script for it and wrote the first 70 pages and then just, like, left. And they didn't have any more money to hire anyone else, so the director, John Abnett, came in and finished it working closely with Franny Flagg to try to stay on point. And it was, like I said, nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Did not win. But, hey, just being nominated is nice. Said everyone who's ever lost. (laughs) Hey, if I was an Oscar nominee, I wouldn't be mad at that. That's still a small pool of people. No, it, it absolutely is, but I just always think of, like, when people are all like, it's just an honor to be nominated, and then, like, it shows them later, and they're like, god damn it! <laughs> like, 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 thank you so much, it was just so nice to be nominated, that fucking sucks! Like, sorry, that's just what that made me, it, I don't know, go ahead, <laughs> keep going. Anyway, here's some interesting production facts. Uh, Mary Stuart Masterson did all the B stunts herself because her stunt double quit at last minute. And in a, I believe, 2017 piece she did with some magazine that I do not remember, she has since went on and bought some, however, bee farmers do it, um, because she always felt like a fraud after this movie. And now she actually has bees. I thought that was just kind of fun. Um, <laughs> They're colonies. They're bee colonies, I believe. She's a beekeeper now. <laughs> like, not just a beekeeper, but, you know, <laughs> on her home. Our budget is $3.2 million and I raise bees on the weekend. Um, <laughs> anyway, the author, Fanny Flagg, also came in as the, you can put the spark back in your marriage, woman. Whistle Stop Cafe is a real place. It has been turned into a tourist thing where they filmed it in, I believe, Macon, Georgia. But the real whistle stop is in Irondale, Alabama, where Fanny grew up. And I also used to live about 30 minutes from there. And my first boyfriend 
on one of our <clears throat> drives. Uh, he loved this movie, and so we went to find where it was and everything. So I've actually seen, like, the real place. I was not... I didn't have any connection to it, so it wasn't cool to me. But he was really excited, and now I'm like, man, if only. That would have been so cool to me. This is another one of those you should have ate the barbecue at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre gas station. I know. (laughs) Still sad. Ironically (laughs) enough, they both feature barbecue that is not just barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, mystery meat. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So uh, when Sean was telling me about this movie, he like, (laughs) <laughs> said this thing about cannibalism and I would just like started laughing because I was like uh-huh like this movie isn't gonna have cannibalism <laughs> and that was when I realized he hadn't seen it or he didn't remember that so I'm just like oh I'm just kidding I and wouldn't I have like, forgotten <laughs> the cannibalism like that's literally pretty much how they end the movie is that story <laughs> right and so I was like oh oh I'm giving away at like the end of this like backtrack like backpedal <laughs> backpedal quickly so I, I was just like, uh, oh, I'm just kidding. You know that, right? Like, this is called fried green tomatoes. Like, you really think it's going to, like. Not like, fried oh, okay. green racists. Yeah. Um, still a good fried title. Fried white racists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also, Mary Stuart Masterson, Mary Louise Parker, and Fanny Flagg were all very strong advocates of the overtly lesbian relationship of Iggy and Ruth in the book. They wanted to include it. The director and the producers were cowardly and excised the romance, but the director considered the food fight scene analogous to a love scene, which, okay, but I still think their performances, it came through. (laughs) Uh, Oh my gosh, they are eye... They're eye humping. Oh my god, Mary Louise Parker's eye acting in this movie. (laughs) So you said the food fight was a um, like a love scene. That's what the director considered to be like a metaphor for a love scene. Was there a food fight? Didn't they bring in the the cop into the food fight with them? Yeah, they did. (laughs) I was not thinking of that, but. Yes, yes, they did. And Apparently, they, did. they were letting to spice it up a little. Meow. <laughs> spice it up with some chocolate. I mean, if Mary Louise Parker came and rubbed a giant amount of chocolate on my face, I'm just going to eat it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe that's that telling too much was... about me, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just the it's more the way you said it for me that Mary Louise Parker came in and rubbed a large amount of chocolate up my face. I would just eat it. And I was like, okay, what else are you gonna do with it? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> you could do lots of things with chocolate, Sean. <clears throat> you can. I just that's why I was like, okay, that's where that's I just where like to eat that. chocolate, and it was like just chocolate frosting, and we all know how I can just, I mean. Does anybody, do you get the vibe she doesn't blink? Mary Louise Parker? Yes. She bl- I feel like she blinks so much. <laughs> oh, it depends on the scene. Like, I feel like she don't blink ever. She's just there. <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like she blinks very expressively. That's why I was commenting on her eye acting. Like, I feel like her blinks are so expressive. <laughs> I really like her. You know, we all loved weeds until it jumped the shark. But I, I was about to say, the, I liked it's it. It's more like burn the, the shark end. down. <laughs> I don't think that's where the show went off the rails i don't think that was... you don't think when they burned down agrestic or whatever the hell it was called at the time <laughs> it was called agrestic <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm surprised i remember that um <laughs> you don't think that was when they jumped the shark really no i think there was so much good stuff that happened after that oh i just got it got too bonkers for me and i was like Ugh. the best part after that was when cecilia did cocaine and she was like goal watching football <laughs> do you remember no, I that think... i love her <laughs> they had that like hidden tuttle in arizona that went back and forth from mexico and like mm -hmm. it transferred drugs and the guy had this little like soccer ball necklace and he did cocaine out of it and she got her sub and then they were watching it together and all of a sudden she just screams goal <laughs> <laughs> i don't remember that but now i want to rewatch that uh she was it's like fantastic. the only thing i remember from weeds <laughs> <laughs> i remember a lot of things from uh, weeds, but, um... generally i remember cecilia or like i just remember her mannerisms Elizabeth was it Perkins. cecilia or just celia 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 yeah celia hode 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 yeah um <laughs> sorry uh, <laughs> my brain was trying to comprehend that one um but like that and then i also remember when spoilers for anyone who's never watched weeds when the kid like kills the, the like super rich lady just like whacks her in the head and she falls in the pool and he's like eh? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, <laughs> yes um mary louise parker had a very choice thing to call her which i might cut out in editing but i laughed so hard and it was so incorrect but because she was such a bitch um when mary louise parker called her a stiletto healed mexican <laughs> um oh my god <laughs> yeah i probably will cut that but <laughs> i did just want to bring that up because i thought it was hysterical <laughs> Any clever wordplay on the word cunt, I'm going to be behind. Um, I just remember they tried to pass her off as older by putting blonde hair extension in her hair at the end. And I was like, I'm not buying it. <laughs> oh, yeah. When it was like the 10 year jump forward. Yes. And she had no wrinkles, but blonde hair chunks. And I was like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's the show you went off the deep end, not gained 10 years of life. <laughs> Um, back also, to... I've never. Sorry, real quick, one more thing. Just have to mention, every time she drank one of those like iced coffees and like chewed her straw, is the most iconic way I've ever seen anyone drink an iced coffee in anything. It's just the like smile between her teeth while she's always drinking coffee. I don't know. It it always stuck with. Me. I never drink coffee, but anything I'm drinking with a straw, if I happen to grab it like by the top. I always think of Mary Louise Parker and weeds. Always. Every single time I pick it, if I like happen to pick up a drink like that, and then I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. My ex drove this big purpley blue suburban, and every time I would drive it, I felt like I was selling weed. And so I'd go to Starbucks and get a cup and just like have it there to act like her. I don't know why. I just was vibing <laughs> Mary Louise Parker in this suburban. 
It is fun to vibe Mary Louise Parker. She's a good vibe. <laughs> um. Anyway, back to this <laughs> film, yeah, Fried Green Louise Tomatoes. In this one. <laughs> um. Not even Mary Louise Parker, but in the soundtrack they dubbed aretha franklin's voice for some reason as the gospel singer um and that's pretty much everything about the production fun facts for the cast we've got kathy bates the iconic kathy bates playing evelyn couch poor belabored housewife and do you guys know who was considered for that part i have no idea Susan Sarandon. Oh. Oh. I I like Susan Sarandon, but I don't think that would work. Uh-uh. I don't think so when either. When has Susan Sarandon ever been dumpy? Like, no offense to Kathy Bates, but, like, you know, she starts off and, like, she's kind of, like, you can tell her, her life is going in a direction. <laughs> like, and I don't think Susan Sarandon's ever really, like, played that direction. I, don't I think know. she I could, could though. Oh, I'm sure she could. She's extremely <laughs> talented. I just, I, I don't think I've ever seen it, so it's hard for me to imagine. Well, apparently they imagined it and decided to go another direction. <laughs> well, that would have been like late 80s, early 90s was like mm-hmm. really the height of Susan Sarandon. I feel like she stayed pretty. Uh... No, she's still relevant, but I mean, like, that would have been like right after. <laughs> I am Girl. still socially relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that would have been right after Bull Durham, you know, like... Back when you didn't need laxatives to say skinny. Speaking of laxatives, have either of you ever had a flea enema? (laughs) I think I'd remember it. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's not the quote, but I do think I would remember it. I mean, doesn't flea enemas always bring queer people together to talk about? They're good conversation starters. Yeah. I mean, I've used them. They're wonderful. <laughs> and they are memorable from your first time. <laughs> the first time I ever saw it was on Not Another Gay Movie, and it mortified me oh my from God. ever using them again. And so... <laughs> I can see how that would happen. <laughs> oh, aren't you glad we get such better gay and queer films than that, when that's, like, what we had? <laughs> But it's still so iconic. I mean, when will you ever see Graham Norton like that? Hopefully never again. (laughs) 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 Uh, Continuing on with the cast, we've got Jessica Tandy playing Ninny Threadgood. And she got an Oscar nom for Best Supporting Actress. Did not win. Again, those were the two Oscar nominations for this movie didn't get them but again nice to be nominated you go down in the history books mary stewart masterson plays Iggy Threadgood, who i would say is probably like the main character yeah um do you know who auditioned for that part i know sean does but kindle had you heard this uma thurman uh, i don't think that would have gone over as well I could see it, actually. I could see Uma at that time playing this character. With a southern accent? Yeah. They have accent coaches. Really? 
Yeah. Because as someone from the South, I wasn't buying it on some of them. <laughs> I know. I um, also was thinking about that throughout my watches. I'm not going to name who, but I'm like, mm-hmm, that is not authentic. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I'm like, I lived in Alabama. That is not an Alabama accent. Some of them were pretty good, though, I will, I will say. But accents are hard. They're hard. Um, I thought I did a pretty good Kira Knightley impression, and I was told it sounds Australian by a British person, and I haven't done a British accent since. <laughs> well, now I, like, I, I want to hear I, it. I will do it for you privately. No, I want to um, hear it too. Because <laughs> you okay. talked about it, but you never did it for me. Okay, so my... Cure Knightley impression is, <laughs> oh God, I'm Cure Knightley and I always talk with my jaw stuck together and jutted out like this and I'm just skinny and fabulous and so posh. Um, and apparently <laughs> it sounds did that a, for Sean. <laughs> a form of that for Sean, yes. <laughs> Sean's awesome. We talk a lot. Um, we were talking about Kira Knightley one time, and anyway, and he told me I sounded Australian, and Australia is one of those accents I always try to do and didn't think I could do. So but you're... he did say it's a very common thing. People try to do British, and it sounds Australian, and Americans just can't hear it. Um. Anyway, you're welcome for that embarrassing... We'll keep working on that. watch another Kira Knightley movie apparently (laughs) you know how many times I watched Silent Night last year perfect (laughs) (laughs) that's okay I did the mummy and he said it was okay so yeah he said you did a decent British accent so (laughs) that's only because I've watched the mummy in like 957 times (laughs) I feel like I watch a lot more British stuff than you do though so I feel like I should be better at it and my dreams are just crushed. And that is why actors get dialect coaches. I always love seeing like who has to have the <laughs> credits. <laughs> um, and continuing on, no. Mary Louise Parker plays the other main character for the majority of the movie, Ruth Jameson. And who is this, Sean? Doanne was- Wally? Whaley? Was uh, Joanne part? Wally. Mm-hmm. She I don't know who she is. Val Comer. She's an actress. She's been in. An actress. Uh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> uh, I can't think of anything she's been in. The one thing I could think of is she was in that Navy SEALs movie with. Uh, what was it Charlie Sheen? Back in the day. Um. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember what it is. I blocked a lot of Charlie Sheen's roles out of my mind. Although he was in a very strange adaptation of Heidi, I remember as a child. And I thought that was interesting that Charlie Sheen was in a Heidi film. Uh, yeah, anyway, and rounding out our cast is Cicely Tyson as Sipsy, Stan Shaw as Big George, Lois Smith. I wish they had more of her playing Mama Threadgood. Gaylord Sartain as Ed Couch, Kathy Bates' husband, and an incredibly cute Chris O'Donnell at the beginning of his career playing Buddy Threadgood, 
four faded buddy thread good and now we can get into the movie itself and whatever discussion points we happen to come across whoever wants to start out on this <laughs> well i mean you start off with a ghost train so that's fun <laughs> you do and i don't understand why there is a ghost train like this i feel like um, the beginning and ending of okay. this has such muddled messaging it really does um i always felt like it kind of feels like since the like wind comes through it's kind of like the winds of change like they're coming to you know evelyn kathy bates's character like or also it could be like she's just imagining it like you could tell she's a romantic she's very much like you know like she wants the magic back in her life and her marriage and uh uh, that was what i always thought it was kind of like the winds of change because the leaves start to blow and you know all that and you know little does she know she's it is going to change her life that little town of whistle stop i like that i'll accept it i don't have a better explanation for it <laughs> thank you i I think it was a solid B. <laughs> I literally was watching. I was just like, oh, it's the winds of change. And I was like, wow, that sounds way too much. <laughs> I wasn't even going to say anything. <laughs> like, that's why it's not in our notes. Because <laughs> I was like, oh. <sighs> but you brought it up. And I was just like, all right, uh, you asked for it. <laughs> yes. Um. So we start out with... A visit to a nursing home, and Kathy Bates meets Jessica Tandy, who is adorable in this movie. <laughs> She's such an adorable little old lady. I love it. And Jessica Tandy starts telling her the story, which is the overarching thing. We kind of switch back between the storylines, but for the most part, it's set in the past between visits to the <laughs> Alabama retirement home or something was said on the wall i was like that is so generic i love it <laughs> literally on the wall it's like alabama oh no, we retirement need to go home. Get, we need to go get food let's go to the supermarket <laughs> that's what it that, that's what those always remind me of oh no yeah. we need to stop let's go to the gas station i love these types of like storytelling movies it reminds me of like the princess diaries where not only is there a story within a story, but you're like, you're Kathy Bates. You want to know more. Every time she comes back and she's like, tell me more. That That's us. We want to finish the story out. And I always really like that. I do, too. I think in this movie, it's a little bit clumsily implemented in some places, which I'll kind of get into later um, near the end. But I do like it generally as a storytelling device. I think, again... It's based on a book. I would say it probably works better on the page than on the screen. Agreed. Um, but I do really like where someone's being told a story and then we see it. And uh, yeah, I would 100% go back. I would have been like, I don't care if visiting David's over. I'm just going to sit here for a week while you tell me this story. I'm not going to wait. But she also didn't have a lot in her life to look forward to. So, you know, spacing it out. I get it, Kathy Bates. You want to look sexy for your husband for some reason and well, i don't even think it's she wants to look sexy i think it's more the fact that like she's she's incredibly bored and she doesn't feel noticed which a lot of women feel after a, a long time of being married sorry or just um, in, but in general 
Like, I, I think it's even, like, it's less her being sexy. It's just she wants some magic back. Like, that's what she wants. She wants to feel wanted. She wants to feel seen. She wants to feel heard. And that's not something that Ed is doing for her. Like, he walks in and he grabs his dinner and he sits in front of the TV to watch the game. Like, she's just there to cook his food and, like, basically be a live-in housekeeper kind of thing. And I think... That's, the she's, food in this movie does look really good, though. Yes, it does. She's just she's bored and a little sad. I think yeah. she's clinging on to anything. I mean, the adventures with her best friend, where they go from like masturbation classes to um, looking at your hoo ha through a mirror classes. I think she's just clinging on to anything that might work. She's grasping on for hope. Yeah. I just find it it's so sad, but it, I mean, it's funny, but it's sad. Like the scenes are funny though. And <laughs> I won't lie. Like... The cellophane's the cellophane scene was probably the funniest scene in the whole movie because she's like, what would you do if I walked in and nothing but cellophane? Would you still watch your TV? And he's like, no, I'd call the loony bin. And I'm like, yeah, who does that? <laughs> and I'm like, I can see how like, okay, you're in something see-through and tight. But at the same time, like, getting that off would be awful. <laughs> okay, so when they were doing the shot from her legs up, I was like, okay, are we about to go on, like, a weight loss montage where we're going to work out and be happy and do us? And instead, she's wearing this, and I'm like, okay, that would cost the same as, like, a two-piece at Walmart if you wanted to go that route. Like, <laughs> I just... I don't understand. So when he's like, I would be on the phone with the loony bin. I'm like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think it's more of like, it's supposed to be implied she's like nude under it. Like, kind of thing. Oh, 100%. But like, it's <laughs> Kathy Bates and Fry Green Tomatoes, so they're not, she's, I, 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 I don't think she would be doing it. So I think it's more of like it's supposed to be like sexy, and then he's basically just like, "Oh God, cover yourself!" Like, what if the paper boy sees? <laughs> and she's like, "I don't care." <laughs> oh, with her glitter, with her glitter makeup. Oh my God, the this. glitter makeup, <laughs> the gold foil. Oh, it was killing me. <laughs> and the 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 church biscuit, the little church biscuit shoe. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that the official name for that? <laughs> oh yeah, the if it's like two inches or less or like one inch, like you're barely off. The, that's your little church biscuit. <laughs> you gotta stand on your feet all day at church. Them are the shoes. <laughs> I feel like I should have known that being raised in the church. <laughs> that's wonderful. Oh yeah, look at any like um politi older politician lady. They got church biscuits. Because they got to be comfortable all day, but they want a little femininity. Except for Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi's generally are pretty high. Like, well. I learned that from Drag Race <laughs> when she was on. And she was in, like, stilettos. And I was like, whoa. Like, maybe it was just for Drag Race. Any other time she's in flats. But, like, <laughs> like <laughs> I, I like can see it. <laughs> I like to think of her as a dominatrix. So, no, I think that's just on the reg for her. That's her... Yeah. her other personality inkling out yeah it's very it's very much a power move anybody that goes out in stilettos like for a day whew. yeah and that's i mean like it kind of reminds me of like a weird movie reference to bring in but like in jurassic world when everyone was like oh why doesn't 
why doesn't Bryce Dallas Howard take off the shoes? And I'm like, well, like, I've never worn them myself, so I can't say, speak from, like, experience. But anyone I know who's worn high heels, like, you have to get used to being out of high heels after you take them off again. Like, at least that's what I've been told. So, like, maybe she was just more comfortable being in them than out of them. Well, it's more trying to run in high heels, like, through grass and mud. Like, that would quite literally catch you and make you fall. It's nothing to do with your ability. I, I can speak on this topic. I wear heels a lot. Yes. Um, it is not that long to get readjusted from wearing heels. It isn't? Okay. No. I've I mean, had there, a couple friends talk about it. So There like, is an adjournment, but it's not like, you know, you're out 30 minutes. Like, it takes like 10 <laughs> seconds and you're you're pretty well equipped. <laughs> so you're not just like, well, I can't go anywhere for the next 12 minutes. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Y'all, my feet need to... Um, yeah it's no it's <laughs> it's not like that at all uh, but i also i was the child that grew up like not wanting to wear shoes so i'm used to like if i needed to run in forest terrain barefoot i can um, oh, yeah my feet are flat so like the entire like the whole thing is going to the ground so for me like running on like anything like if i'm running through like grass or anything it's just it does not feel good so me i'm like give me shoes give me shoes now <laughs> i think that's more what it was it was more used as like a protective device that or the director didn't think of it i personally would have made the stiletto a weapon i love Agreed. when a stiletto is used as a weapon in a movie superb agreed <laughs> yes um Anyway, <laughs> so uh, we're seeing this story that takes place at this point in, what, 1910? No, 1920 or so. It was right after the First World War. Right after the Great War. I was just about to say that. <laughs> but right before another one. <laughs> right before the War at the Threshold, or whatever their last name yeah. was. <laughs> war at the Thurgood. Thread good. Thread good. <laughs> Um, and we meet an absolutely charming Chris O'Donnell as the older brother. This family has really bad luck with trains, y'all. Um, I get him confused with Kurt Cameron. So when I watched this oh, the second time last night, I had to Google again, like, is this Robin or is this that hardcore evangelist dude? <laughs> See, yes. I, I've watched it is Robin. And Robin far too many times to be able to not tell Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah, Chris O'Donnell was a kind of a sexual awakening for me. So um, <laughs> I'm very familiar with him. <laughs> I think he kind of was for a lot of people. <laughs> it was the nipple. It was the nipple. I'm like, as I literally reached down and kind of like graze a nipple lovingly. <laughs> Yes, um, I, I would agree. But yeah, so he's being sweet to his little sister, Iggy, who is not wanting to go to this wedding and ends up getting hit by a train and dying. And I was like, oh, wow, this really was the beginning of his career because he was in and out of this movie in like five minutes. <laughs> but before he died, I had a really interesting thing I noticed. He is trying to cheer her up and he's telling, you know, how throughout the thing they're talking about the oysters and sometimes like there'll be a piece of sand and it turns to a pearl. And when he's telling that to young Iggy, he said, 
you know, about the pearl and the oyster. And she said, what if God made a mistake? And just that line alone. And again, I haven't read the book and I'm really curious about your thoughts on this Kindle. Do you think that is enough to make a trans reading of her? I wouldn't say just that alone. There were a lot of instances that come across as Iggy is trying to, I guess, play around with her gender identity. Because um, right after that, the next scene, she's in a pantsuit at the wedding. And then she's always trying to save Mary Louise's Parker character and like kind of fit that more masculine role by playing ball with the boy growing up and um, doing more of the heavy cooking around the cafe and stuff. So I think yes. as an overall film, yes, you could pull that narrative. Because when I was watching, I know like before and in the past, because I didn't even know there was any queer thing to this movie at all. And then after I watched it, I was like, oh, it's kind of like, especially for back then, there weren't a lot of mainstream queer stories being told especially that were like looked at positively. And I was like, Oh, this is like a lesbian story. And then I was watching it a second time and I was like, Oh, I don't know if it's that clear cut just with just, again, that little line and how she responded to it and just different things throughout the movie. Like you mentioned, I just found that really fascinating that in 1991, even though the director was like, Oh, I want to pull back from, you know, the queer themes in the book and that all that, I think it all just depends on your bias, really. Like, my grandma loves this movie. Um, kind of grew up, sort of, in this era. And so she sees it as more like a tale of sisters or best friends. Whereas, I'm sure some people can see the lesbian coding. But I took more of, like, maybe not necessarily a trans coding, but maybe, like, a non-binary or... Just really a journey of playing with your sexuality and gender, but without really talking about it. Right. Uh, I think her performance was so phenomenal and everything. And obviously a lot of it, you know, the costuming and stuff. But considering the time period and what everybody else, you know, looked and acted like, I just found it all fascinating, just her character in general. And I also really loved that it seemed like the whole town kind of knew what was going on and people didn't care which right you know for alabama in 19 like 30 uh i thought like this is clearly fiction but this is nice that also shows a male lens like a male gaze because lesbianism is always going to be more accepted than any other type of lgbt um narrative and so agree would the situation be the same if it was two gay men Fuck no. They even like like the sheriff that was friends um like friends with her and like even told her like hey you can run like they don't need you um for you know murder. But at the same time like when the other sheriff when the other policeman from Georgia is there, he's like no we haven't seen him he's a little light on his feet, as you know like insinuating everyone you know because Alabama and Georgia famously hate each other. Um, to this day <laughs> um, but was insinuating like oh if you're from Georgia you're gay as like a bad thing yeah that would 100% not have been the same if it was two men in that situation I agree and it's not like there were men that tried 
with both of them. And I think it took Mary Lisa's Parker character longer to get to that conclusion. Um, but I also have problems with her character throughout the show. She's constantly needing to be saved. And I don't know. Just Well, yeah. She's the like typical Southern Belle kind of thing. And I think that's one uh, like I completely get where you're coming from because she doesn't until she becomes pregnant with uh with buddy jr um she doesn't really show any she doesn't show any gumption right i think she did when she was younger and jumped off the train and helped with yeah i think she was more laid back with her typical no that was manipulative Here are a bunch of people that are hungry. You either give them food or you don't. What are you going to do? You're going to give them food. That's guilt. Well, I didn't mean that. I meant when she jumped off of the train. <laughs> Rather well, than waiting. That was kind of a dare. Not giving the food. <laughs> but, I mean, she did. She went for it. <laughs> I just right. noticed her freckles kept disappearing throughout the movie and then reappearing. Like, some scenes she'd have a lot and then some she'd have none. And I was just like, hmm. Because they filmed it in Macon, Georgia, and, you know, movies are typically filmed out of order. So I would guess that's what was going on with that. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I mean, some movies, they do film them in sequence, but most of the time they're not. So I would say, and we know what that southern sun is like. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? I did feel like Iggy, I don't know. I'm not trying to be negative. I felt like Iggy was just kind of. I liked her character, a lot. I just felt like she was very loud, through the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> Sean had a comment on Iggy that. <laughs> I said Iggy's kind of a brat. <laughs> yeah, well, like like she spends, and I mean, like it's kind of her upbringing. Like she's the youngest out of however many brothers and sisters she has. Um, and she just kind of, you you know, you can tell she's like, like, yeah, she's the tomboy, but she's very much like, she's the baby and everyone's kind of like, like, she kind of just gets away with whatever she wants to get away with. Everyone is so indulgent with her. (laughs) Agreed. And I, I just, I felt like, I was like, I literally wrote it in the notes. I was like, she's kind of a brat. (laughs) Like... Like, you can't, like, give up. I I don't know. The scene at the wedding at the beginning, like, when she's, like, in that doily dress. um, (laughs) Like, she, like, you know, you could, I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, me. But I'm like, can you give up your ego for, like, 30 seconds? (laughs) Like, let your sister get married and then go back to doing whatever you want to do. Like, and I get it. And, And I know that, like... Once she was able to wear her pantsuit, she was more comfortable. But I, I always felt like she was kind of being a brat, like a little bit of a brat for that one. And then she spends the whole movie being kind of a brat. Like she's just like whatever she says goes. And until and it's not until she like really gets Ruth and and Buddy and like her little you know like her 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 main family that she finally starts to get a little bit more on the like oh it's not just me out here. I'm gonna push back on that. It- if, again, if we're going with her playing with gender norms and stuff, she very clearly didn't feel comfortable I get in it. that dress. Yeah. 
So why should she have had to wear a dress to her sister's wedding? Like, she's a little kid. Who cares? No, and I get where you're coming from there. I just mean, like, she immediately just, like, jumps on her brother and then just, like, runs and, and, like, takes it all off. Like, she doesn't talk to anyone on it. Like, it was I mean, a, after she comes out time. and she gets... Yeah, and I know, and, and I get that. But, like, you could tell that, like, Iggy kind of gets her way. Like, after that, she basically, like, lives in the woods. So, you know, she's not, like at home all the time like her mom's allowing that to happen so i i don't know i just felt like especially because once she brings in ruth she's like i i've tried everything like there's nothing i can do to help her it just felt like she closed off which i get it after her brother's death i don't know maybe i'm i'm just going i'm being too critical with her i think but for that one i was just like sometimes in life you you don't i don't know i don't know I felt like the wedding scene was cheapened by the sister, Leona. She was so dramatic. Like, just oh my God, the yes. fact that Iggy was tackling her. But she's like, my wedding is ruined. And I'm like, girl, nothing's broke. Nothing's ripped. Like, a small hey, little tackle happened. are a thing. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I deal with but them like, on a daily basis. <laughs> I mean, if someone blinked at her, my wedding is ruined. And I was just like, oh, my God. It is fine, girl. Calm down. Oh. I wonder how she felt after her brother died at it. <laughs> you never see her again. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's never <laughs> never resolved. Never a moment. The only person we see mourning is Edgy. Well, not and necessarily. The... You see the funeral, and you see the mom, and you see Ruth. Yeah, because like, the mom and you is see from... She's from True Blood. I know, I love her so much. I always think of Lois Smith from Twister. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what I always think of her from. You see my cows out from? And oh, wasn't she oh, Aunt May that... in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? No. No, that was, that was Rosemary, Rosemary Harris. Okay. But Although, they do have a similar look. Lois Smith look. is Aunt May. That, that's a good old one. I, like I love Lois Smith so much. She just seems like the sweetest. Like I just wanted to be my grandma. I loved her as Miss Stackhouse. <laughs> but I kept thinking the whole time about Kathy Bates' character and how I just, I really need a friend like her. She's always got full-size candy bars in her purse. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> like, she is my friend. She comes every time with food. I'm like, girl, I would bring the drinks or the food and it would be a feast. I know. I haven't eaten yet today. I'm so hungry. <laughs> I was just like, uh and I was watching it, and I was like, okay, I've got to finish this and finish up my notes and get ready and stuff. And I was like, I don't have time to eat. And I'm just like, and also all I want are, like, candy bars and donuts. And then, you know, that the joke they made with, like, her giving her husband on Valentine's Day, like, a low-calorie feast. The and piece like, of sushi. The one yeah, piece of sushi like, on a cracker. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I want sushi, but, like. Not just one piece. I'm going to need, like, 30. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Like, did she make just one piece? Like, what did she do? I don't know. I just... The one piece of sushi cracked me up. <laughs> Speaking of food, I cook a lot. I love to cook from scratch, being a southerner. And so the scene where she delivers her the fried green tomatoes 
I just did not buy it. They would be soggy, cold. <laughs> the steam from the lid alone would have ruined them. So yeah, I'm just and like, it didn't seem like she lives super close to the nursing home. No. Because yeah, they, got lost, it, they got lost. The first time. <laughs> there was a crunch when she bit into it, and I was like, that's a damn lie. <laughs> I don't. She like... bought her portable grill. It was she just made them in the parking lot. <laughs> she was like, she's like, these will be super fresh. Like, watch how this, watch how awesome this is gonna be. She really just bought them from a nearby <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> yeah, this is your recipe. <laughs> Wait. I have actually never. No, I have had fried green tomatoes. I had a bite of one once, and I didn't like it, and never tried them again. Um. So I can't really speak to that. But yes, I also found that bullshit that there was a crunch on something fried after it had been driven for <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, I bring like French fries or something home from the bar and it's like in a lid for five minutes and they're just ruined. <laughs> well, Iggy goes on. Iggy goes on to say like. Oh, it's fine, dear. This is how we used to serve it at the whistle stop. And I'm like, I would be pissed if I was a customer and you served me some cold, soggy, fried green tomatoes. I would be upset. Uh, I've never tried fried green tomatoes. Are they good? I think you would like them, Sean. <laughs> They're a thing. <laughs> I I like that. that I'm more of a fried pickles guy myself. Um Fried oh, squash. Yeah. Mm, I don't. I don't do that either. I don't like it. I like both of those. <laughs> See, you would probably like fried green tomatoes then, and you <laughs> like tomatoes more than I do. Just in general, I. Mm. I think they could have turned this movie around though. Like, what if she brought Jessica Tandy home and then like stole a recipe and started making a restaurant and like that's how she got her money to separate from her husband. Oh, that would have been fantastic. Fried green tomatoes, too. Come on. Right? Or like a Whistle Stop Cafe Part 2. Yeah. I like that a lot, actually. <laughs> Kathy Bates just keeps that getting bigger and bigger balls. everything that goes in this movie, but okay. <laughs> well, no, because she she's feel- like, she's trying to win her husband back. So instead, I mean, she damn near did everything. Yeah. There comes and a moment once- where people give up. Once Ninny dies, she could just be like, well, it's what she would have wanted. <laughs> he's going to speak up about it. <laughs> that oh, I thought is... you meant, like, steal him while she's still alive. And I'm just well, like, Well, you would wow. have to steal the recipe while she was alive. She's, like, <laughs> in the kitchen working, like, make me more fried green tomatoes. Well, she even says that, like, she already has the recipe because she's like, they're your recipe. Yeah, and we don't know how she got them. Why does she give her, like, 12 of those things? Like, I feel like that's too many. Okay, I can speak on this. As a Southerner, we always come aplenty. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I mean, if there's two people, we bring 24 pieces. That's just what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Kendall is speaking truth. She is not wrong. (laughs) I have the hardest time. I live alone, and I'm like, every time I'm like, we're going to make a meal, and the meal is like for four people. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to be eating this for the next five days. I hope I And I'm it. just like, whatever. I don't want to eat leftovers, so I just eat it all. <laughs> See, I call mom, grandma, everybody. I'm like, I made a big old bunch of something. I'm bringing you some. Because <laughs> so I will not eat this. <laughs> No, it will sit in Tupperware and ruin, and I won't eat it. So I'm like, please, get this out of my house. 
<laughs> I, for some reason, can only make a feast. Well, they don't ever, like, if you're making stuff, they don't give you directions for, like, a smaller portion. So you either have to, like, cut everything back, which throws everything off, or just make the thing and give it away. But, I mean, just trying to cook for one person is horrible. Horrible. <laughs> it really is not fun. <laughs> What is nice is back when I was um, doing what you said it felt like doing, driving around in your car pretending to be Nancy Botwin, I had enough cash inflow that I could just eat out all the, eat out all the time and didn't have to worry about cooking for one person. It was quite nice. Oh, they showed uh, Smokey's plate and I was like, okay, everything but corn. I will eat the crap out of it that. It does not look like a nice place to eat out. They got people segregated in the backyard <laughs> i just meant the food <laughs> no i know but i'm just like i would not roll up not... and look at that place and be like this is exactly where i want to eat not the segregation it just looks like one of those little down-home diners that's like kind of a dive but you know they've got like the best i'm just food, teasing I'm and just they just teasing. might serve you people once in a while speaking of up for the food don't stay for the segregation. So as I was watching this <laughs> with my boyfriend, Brandon, we were talking about the cannibalism, you know, narrative in this movie. And we just... Well, I mean, how can you not? <laughs> right. And it was such... I don't know. It was kind of like a cool FU, but it was just so far-fetched at the same time. Like, where'd the bones go? Well... <laughs> I would Probably say whatever. The river. <laughs> <laughs> like that's where they they just put them in the car. <laughs> that's what I would have done. <laughs> like I don't know. I tried not to think like, too much about it because it seemed like they were doing all of this butchering very openly. <laughs> yes. Like did no one at some point think, y'all, we probably shouldn't be doing this. I mean, you do <laughs> what you got to do. Have a little priest. <laughs> Is it any good? <laughs> so it's too good, at least. <laughs> Sorry, that was a, the little Sweeney Todd reference. Um. <laughs> and now I want to follow yeah, the, fact... the detective story because, like, cannibalism makes you go crazy. So, what happened to him? So. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many loose It doesn't ends. make you go crazy. It doesn't make you go crazy, I think, if you only do it, like, a couple times. I think it's, like, if you are, like... It's prions in the brain. Yeah, I think it's if you eat it consistently or it's a large portion of your diet, I think that's when it, like, really makes you go fucking nuts. I think if he just had it that one day, I don't think it would have made him go crazy. And also, he's a piece of shit, so who cares? I mean, agreed, but... Was it? Yeah, I thought you meant like just his story over like that five years, and I was like, it'd be so boring. He just drives from Georgia to, to Alabama and then just has in that drive from Macon, Georgia to <laughs> or no, he was from Valdosta. It was filmed in Macon. That drive from Valdosta to Irondale is so boring. I ugh. Okay, like he just sits there and glares at them all while eating. But that's <laughs> like, five years of eating human. That's not just like two or three times. That's five years. No, they well, only they... served it that one day. Oh, they didn't serve it all. I to was him. like, like they didn't store it. Just <laughs> give him exclusively. People. Every time he comes <laughs> to visit, oh, pull out that good chili. 
<laughs> I really think they just. I think just that day, day they just fed it to all the racist assholes. But was the I feel cop like they racist, had, like, or was he just doing his job? Yeah, he was racist. Did you hear him talking to him? And he was like, "If you ever have anything, you know about boy." Okay, yeah, to a grown yeah. man. Like I forgot and, about that. And he used the N word in court. And yeah, he was fucking racist. Okay, I forgot about that. I stand corrected. Oh my god. <laughs> well, and that's one thing about this. It movie was the that... South in like 1920. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things about this movie is there is a lot of like racial injustice and like Iggy is meant to be like, hey, she's the one like trying to give everyone a voice, but she's also it's kind of a white savior narrative at times, like, um, which you know it, mm-hmm. it definitely is not something that's like conducive to you know anyone's stories. And one thing um, it, that. You know, like, you have to take into account the timing it comes out, like, but Sipsy and, like, George, they don't really get, they are very much, like, silent people. Like, Mm -hmm. they're, like, the suffer in silence kind of people. And I just, like, you don't get to hear how they feel on the story or how they feel doing whatever. Yeah, it doesn't go into them at all. And really, as far as everything that happened, they're just as much of main characters, but you wouldn't know that from the movie and the whole gotcha at the end, like the big reveal at the end of the movie, would you have even remembered who Sipsy was? Like, do they hardly use her name in the movie? No, they do. She is, she's there around a lot. Like she is in scenes. Like it's her who defends Ruth when Frank comes in in his yeah, KKK but... thing, and like she's like their fan, like part of their fan, like part of the family. She's that's where Iggy is living. Like before Ruth comes back, like she's living at their house. Like so, I mean, like yes, Sipsy is a character, and like you recognize who she is because like she is a big part in the movie. Like, but does she? She's a big part of the movie in her actions, but you don't really get to know what she thinks of everything. I think an accurate representation of the time and the place, um, George would have gotten blamed for everything instead of Iggy in the court. And George would have been... he would have gotten hung in Yeah, especially in a town full of KKK members like that. They wouldn't have even looked at her once. They would immediately just... Even if they knew she did it, they would have just taken the opportunity, like... Well, and I think the only reason they even, like, really suggested that it's it's Iggy, and even the sheriff is just like, oh, well, you know, if you blame George, like, you'll get off on it. Like, they, you know, like, they're they're guaranteed to, to hang a, a black man, and that's, that's, and in some movies, like, that's, you know, that's what they would have done back then, and that's sad, like, yeah if this was a you know the lesser movie or even the character of iggy was a lesser person like you could get off get off with nothing and then sentence someone else to death and that's i don't know it's it, it's very much like yes this is representative but well i mean even today or the racial inequality in the justice system is fucking awful so I haven't changed all that much. Well, you can look at it through a male gaze again by saying, like, here's Edgy, this character who is supposed to be 
in this time period a wife, a homemaker, a mother, but instead she's a tomboy. She goes against the gray and she has these this sexual identity journey that we go on. And so they're almost targeting her because she's not playing that role that they want her to. Right. right. And it's more the people from the other town than where she lives. Right, because like you said, everybody in the town enables her and pushes her. It's the most accepting yeah, southern town for town queer also... people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I know. Irondale, Alabama is not that accepting today. I cannot imagine it was back then. <laughs> you just gotta be a white lesbian. Pretty white lesbian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, is like in my no- in my like research for the movie, like it says in the book, like everyone knows they're that her that Ruth and Iggy are in a relationship. Like So the book makes that clear. Like, okay. Yeah, yes, like, the book they mo- are is much more in a mm. uh, like it is clearly stated they are in a relationship. Like whereas this is very much more ambiguous. Mm. Like the town does I don't think I mean no. Watch it, and maybe, again, you know, like, you, Kendall, you said your grandmother sees it as a story of friendship, and, like, I watched it, and I was like, oh, this is gay. It's <laughs> <laughs> gay? Well, but we also, like, there are many times when, like, we put stories through a queer lens because we're queer. Like, mm-hmm. how many times, like, I like as like, much as I hate to so admit much. it, like, I love, Ca- like, in Marvel, I love Captain America. So, like, Captain America and Bucky, like, they're in love. Like, the whole thing is their love story. Like, but it's not, like, in some ways. I you think know, Bucky's like, in love. I think Captain America is as straight as... <laughs> dude, that man goes through, like, three movies calling for him. Once he gets him back, like, they are love. They're lovers. I will accept nothing less. Um, But, like, Did you that's watch the thing. It's like... The um Bucky series on Disney? No, you know oh. I don't watch. The, I don't watch anything unless you force me. Um, <laughs> uh, it was but, so gay. Bucky is so gay. Him and um, oh, what's his name? Sam. Yes. Okay. That whole that. entire they thing was pretty much old. like a gay life, <laughs> gay yeah. life story. Well, but that was my thing. Is like they like very much like I read a queer like a queer aspect into it because I am queer. Like I so when we see stories and we see things like this, like uh, even Mary Louise Masterson had or Mary Louise Mary Stuart <laughs> Masterson. <laughs> they are just one they just person. Got married. Um, <laughs> Uh, which would be weird uh but you know she said in an interview like where she was she was very much advocating for the love story and like she thought they would like it would turn off southern women who have been in friendships like that where it's been with someone who you know like it's not it's not romantic love it's platonic love and i think that's i I get it because i know people that like i you know i have my best friend like like she's my ride or die like but like there's nothing romantic between us like it's strictly platonic and sometimes and you know like she can a lot of the times she knows what i'm thinking just when i'm thinking it because we just have such a, a deep bond and so it's very much like Do you guys look like, at each other like mary louise park and mary stewart oh masters God, and look no. at each other in this movie <laughs> No, there, there is no I fucking. They're just roommates. Awake, awake. 
shit. <laughs> a, she's married. B, no. I do think you bring up a good point about looking at it through a queer lens and how, like, friendship and romantic relationships kind of have this ambiguous line. Um, I recently went on a Hobbit and Lord of the Rings kick, and you cannot tell me Sam and Frodo are not lovers. I have never seen a straight man <laughs> cry out, Sam! Or, Mr. Frodo! Oh, it's undeniably. I can carry you! Yeah, undeniably. I, I, yeah. The whole time, every yeah. time they spoke, I was like, gay? Yep, exactly. <laughs> because we watch, uh, we, and those are, th- like, you're seeing a representation of yourself that, like, while it may not be strictly for you, like, or for us, like it it like it doesn't make it not a valid reading like there are so how many times you watch a movie they're like oh i didn't intend that but like if you read into it cool like that's where i felt this movie was trying to do the ambiguous thing whereas like like we were talking about in the book it is very much more explicit the book is very (laughs) no ambiguity (laughs) no ambiguity like they fucking yeah (laughs) they in a relationship like in the book like it says that like Iggy is considered like buddy's other mom like they are both raising the child and it's kind of leaned where she's like oh i'll put him down you know after after frank comes in in his in his kkk robe but like he you know like it's (laughs) as one's ex-husband does in the movie they even call Iggy aunt Iggy because like i hadn't read the book so i didn't know that there was a clear i haven't read it defining you know relationship role there and so, I, I mean, it kind of goes back to that confirmation bias. Like, my boyfriend loves Lord of the Rings, and he never sees that perspective. He sees two dudes, you know, bonding over friendship. So I, I think it just kind of comes down to what do you want to believe? Right. And I want to believe that Captain America and Bucky Barnes were in a very stable, loving relationship and ended happy after. Yeah. That's what's so beautiful about storytelling. Like, once it's out of the maker's hands, you can't control the narrative Mm. anymore. Whether you intended something or not, people are going to see what they're going to see from a movie. I, on a counter note, when they do lay it out for you, like, whether, okay, so I hate to use this reference because I know it was just... Okay, so J.K. Rowling later admits, you know, that Dumbledore is gay. And that seems obviously as like a ploy to get, you know, people on her side. But now the fan base has taken that factoid and has just ran with all these theories, all these conspiracies. And it, it was never meant for that. It was one sentence in a book and it was just that. I don't even think it was in a book, didn't it? She like just say she it later it. was it yeah. tweeted? i thought it was in the has, unborn child no it was not the... no i don't oh, think... i well i didn't read that um but oh, that was uh, after she had yeah i'm pretty sure she that. just she tweeted that one okay because like everyone like people were asking about i don't know i don't remember the context of it but that one was a tweet because i don't think there's there's no there's no references to anything like that in the book. None. Like, mm-hmm. In the books, like, Dumbledore is just this asexual creature. Like, right. He's, like, the, the head of the the head of the, the school. So, it's very much... And that's another thing, is sometimes writers will, like, rewrite their own history on things. And the, eh, that tends to get a little weird, too. I will say, I mean, since we, since we brought her up, 
Um, what's so frustrating is like it was such a good story of friendship and bravery and all these good qualities, and then it's like she comes out to be a, an absolute garbage person, and so it's like you don't want to give any more money to anything, you know, because you don't know what she's making money off of and everything. So it's like if you didn't already own the books or the movies, and it almost feels like it's tainted it. Oh, and it's just so frustrating i do love that like everybody involved has just been like um no but with the dumbledore is gay specifically what's so frustrating is like even though there wasn't stuff in the books or anything all her little like things that she had said later made it seem like she was a really big ally and then it was like oh no Oh, I was just going to say, it's it's kind of like Pride Month. <laughs> you know, like, you are, out, like, they've got companies out there, and they're just like, oh, yeah, we're here, we're here, you know, we're here, we support you. And then the minute Pride Month is over, it's like, okay, let's go back to funding Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you, ex- <laughs> you, know? you expect that from Pride Month, but I don't... Yeah, it's... well, but that's what I mean. Like, it's a lot of people will... A lot of people, especially because... And Harry Potter was a phenomenon, and it was a huge phenomenon, and it was very much a, I don't know, like, I love how we're talking about Harry Potter, Um, but, like, Harry Potter was very much, like, it, I think it grew more because of the people, as opposed to the writer, and, like, that's one of the things that now you can, like, I try and divorce myself from it a little bit, because, like, I remember how it made me feel as a kid when i was younger and that's what i try and remember not it still makes me feel like that but if i am watching harry potter which i have owned for a long time so that bitch did not get money from me or if she did it was before i knew um but i still like when i'm watching it i still can enjoy it and love it it gives me those same feelings but like if i think of it it's just like when i'm watching a movie and like i started up and it's like the weinstein company and i'm like ugh, it's just like it's frustrating. I mean, I'm glad that we know and it's out in the open rather than like, oh, they're awesome when they're really horrible, horrible people. It, um, it's really hard as someone who is trans and absolutely loves Harry Potter. I mean, I, it came out when I was in seventh grade and every year my mom would take me out of school for the premiere and we'd go watch it. And it became a really, like, bonding moment for us. And then as I got older and stuff, I really, I've always just, that's been my thing. You know, people have Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Marvel. Mine was always Harry Potter. And over in the UK, you got to kind of understand their culture. Um, there is a huge movement happening where it is called the LGB. And they're trying to segregate themselves from transgender people and individuals because of the current conversations that are being had around mental health and grooming and all these other things. And they feel like these this trans identity attached to it is harming it more than actually benefiting it, even though the trans people are the ones that change history and really get the progressive ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Right, And it is nice, you know, that these actors have come out against this creator. And so, like, with the new game coming out, I'm a huge gamer. I have contrarian issues. Like, I really love the franchise. I love, I want to support these people and these actors and these creators and artists. 
but I also can't give my money to somebody who literally tells me I shouldn't exist. Right. Yeah, I have felt so conflicted. I'm like, that game looks so cool. And I'm like, has she already been paid? Like, will she be making money off of every right. purchase? Did she make it? Like, is it... If I knew more directly, like, where the money was going and stuff, because I'm like, all these people that worked on this game and made this and everything... And are potentially being undermined like, by same... her political beliefs. Yeah, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm like, I don't feel comfortable spending money on this even though it's like, you know, it's been our dream since childhood to get to go to fucking Hogwarts. Like, <laughs> like it's all we've ever wanted, and now they give us this game because, like, I don't feel like morally I can fucking get it. Or play no, and that's, it or anything. that's and, kind of the problem you're seeing with the fried green tomatoes. I mean, from the, mo- from the book to the movie, they had a relationship to it's more this ambiguous thing. It's kind of erasing these queer stories that need to be told and need to be shared. Um, because how cool would it be to like have a trans character in the Harry Potter world and they have to like drink a polyjuice potion just to be themselves? Like, you could do a lot with that. That would, yeah. Luna Lovegood's magical glasses could see you as your true self, so she always sees you as who you are. I mean, there's so much you could go with that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And as a as a queer man, I think one of the reasons a lot of us did really love Harry Potter is, you know, I firmly believe any story that involves a found family is inherently queer because that is, you know, a lot of our experience is, you know, our found family and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge theme of that. Any story with a witch is queer coded. <laughs> <laughs> You can't tell me otherwise. Every witch movie out there, queer people just eat that shit up. Oh, you've never seen The Covenant. No, I'm just <laughs> oh, I remember when that was a hot topic for a while. God. Witchy. You talk about hot. Poor Sebastian Stan. <laughs> was he in that movie? Yeah, yes, he's the he bad was. guy in The Covenant. Oh. You don't remember when he gets punched across the face and he has that look of, like, sexual ecstasy? I remember. I don't remember that movie at all, except that it was, uh, like, a thing for so long. Cause, a fever dream? Yeah. <laughs> like, a fever Laura dream Ramsey, of, like... When Laura Ramsey was a thing? Oh, see, I don't remember her in that. I just remember right. that. She's the love interest. It That's how a, interesting maybe she is. Maybe it's not just witches. I would maybe say any female villain is queer-coded. Speaking of witches and Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling, before we get back to what we should be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kendall, did you see that speech within the past year that Emma Watson gave somewhere? And she was like, and this is for all. And she like leaned into the mic, all the witches out there. And it was right after JK had made like another stupid fucking statement that was awful. And like Emma Watson, I love her. She's so classy. Like she didn't have to say anything. It was just like inflection. And what she said was very much like, (laughs) yeah. She don't deal with no turfs. Yeah. (laughs) It made me really happy. I was like, "Ugh, go Emma Watson." There's a lot like, of people. Everybody knew what you were talking about. Oh, there's a lot of people that are 
coming out as allies that I think are really critical. Like, yeah, Emma Watson, it, it's really nice, and her platform is being used for good. But I'm really enjoying that we're seeing it from other people that you wouldn't expect, especially athletes, and how they're openly dating as well as supporting the trans community. I think it's mm-hmm. really, I think it's a nice change to see. It is. I mean, just look at Ace Ventura when the punchline was a trans person. And it was like a sportsy movie. Yeah. Oh my god. I don't... Oh, I haven't seen Ace Ventura in years. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole punchline of the movie is the bad guy's a trans person. And they slept together, so he starts air vomiting. And, like, it's tragically gross. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, trans community for a long time was just either used as a punchline or like oh they're very mentally unstable or i think everybody should be represented in horror because horror is i'm fine with gay horror villains trans horror villains whatever well i recently it's horror i recently got in trouble for defending uh the lgbt tag on the netflix's jeffrey dahmer show Uh, a lot of people said that it shouldn't go together and i said no it should because not all gay people are your sassy gay best friend we do have monsters in our community just like a straight community just like a white community a black community i mean we all have these villains in our community and those stories need to be shared yes it re-traumatizes the families and that's a different story but yes it's we can that may have been irresponsible but not the whole like tagging it under well and that's exactly it it it's what makes us we deserve to have just as many flawed queer characters as the straight people do not every person is going to be hey girl what's up okay whatever no there are people out there that are extremely fucked up and are gay or trans or whatever and it's knowing that every community has that and not to reflect that on the entire community I think once we have stories that tell us just as many, just across the spectrum, stories, you know, like Breaking Bad, but if Walt was, you know, a trans man or something and people didn't blink at it, I think that's when the world would be at a good place, just because media representation is very important. The more and more over the past few years, just like the more representation I see, I'm like, wow, I didn't realize how much I had been missing my entire life. And just that feeling you get either good or bad, seeing a portion of your life or your community being on screen. And I think we've gone from misrepresentation in the nineties of being this villain or this victim or um, this mentally unstable person to now more so what I call misguided representation, where they're trying to give us a seat at the table, but what they're failing at is almost these minor things they think we wouldn't notice, like Pose. It was a show dedicated to Black and Hispanic uh, trans people, but the credits roll with Evan Peters and his wife and James Vanderbeek as the first credit lines. And so... Mm -hmm. Then you also have shows like Transparent, where you have a white cis male who also sexually offended half the cast (laughs) as your Mm -hmm. lead trans person. And so they're so close, but they're still missing the mark. But it's getting closer. (laughs) 
change does take time and then it happens all at once. So I'm just glad there's being progress, but it feels like sometimes, especially lately, it's like one step forward, three steps back. And it's very frustrating. I mean, I don't think this past year I should have been having a meltdown over like, are my rights going to get taken away? After, you know, however many years of really good progress. Right. And, and I'm like, I'm not a part of the trans community and the way that you guys have been getting treated is just horrible. And I'm like, I couldn't even imagine waking up every day and just, I'd be terrified. What's, terrified. What's really sad about it too is this is just my own like scientific analysis. When you watch these anti-trans ads or campaigns or videos or messages or whatever, it's always targeted at trans women because our hormones and our process necessarily is a lot more complicated than trans men and takes a lot more time to really start getting into those changes. And you also have, you know, trans women. It's. The only time trans men get brought up is when they're pregnant, and it almost seems like Mm -hmm. anytime something threatens womanhood, whether that's a trans man being pregnant or a trans woman, that's when it's a problem, because trans men are often more accepted because of things like hormones working more, and it's not really a threat, comparatively. Right. It's really disheartening. And I'm not trying to discredit a trans man's experience in any sense. Like I said, this is from scientific research of my own. Look at Fox News alone. They target trans women. Never. (laughs) I have to, being in the media, research on this a lot. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, I find it fascinating. This is what I enjoy, and this is why I'm going to school. But there is a heavy spotlight on trans women more so than trans men. And And so much of it is just ridiculous. Well, yeah. I mean, you have people all the time, like influencers or Caitlyn Jenner celebrities, that also are putting, like, really negative implications on it because, you know, they are so rich they can go get all the surgeries in a day and be done in a week. Whereas someone real on the streets like me, you know, some of that stuff could take a lifetime. Right. Yeah. And everybody's like, why don't you just go do it tomorrow and be done with it? <laughs> you paying for it, bitches? <laughs> that part. Like, that's not how the real world works. Right. Well, and that's exactly it. It's like, that doesn't make your womanhood is if you, uh, like, a surgery. A woman is a woman. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, there's so much dangerous rhetoric out there. It just, it's so scary and sad because it's just people are misguided for things that like could easily be explained and it feels like so much is being weaponized i think it all just comes down to ignorance this person wants to say these ignorant things and believe these ignorant things without doing any research or standing on their own feet they just want to buy whatever is given to them and they won't take the time to make up their own mind to listen to other perspectives you don't have to agree with them but it's nice to always hear the other side because they could provide something that you may not have ever known or understood 100 percent. 
Anyway, that's my soapbox. I'm sorry. No, that was a, that that's was, an excellent soapbox. That was an excellent I'm like, y'all trickled into my area of expertise, and I could not let the moment pass. <laughs> no, yeah. please do. That's This is what we want to talk about. We want to talk. Yeah. We don't want our story. Like, this isn't. We don't want this to just be like, oh, here's a movie. We liked it. Go see it. <laughs> like, movies, like, we like to talk about things that, like, how they affect real either change or they or are just essentially telling people stories and that's exactly what what the, that's what we're doing here is we're we're seeing a little bit of this through through your lens and that's an important lens to see it through and that's not something that everyone unfortunately realizes is that it, like your voice is just as important as everyone else's and it's a scary thought <laughs> a part of me wonders if the author intended on it being a lesbian relationship because Iggy does play around with their gender expression so much that you know we evolve with times and create these labels and these names and stuff i wonder if because it was too taboo back then or there maybe there wasn't the right name for it that she just kind of left it a little bit more lesbian ambiguous or if that was yeah, more like she wrote a show decision. The book came out in 1987. And again, I cannot talk about how the book portrays things. I think the book was more lesbian. But I don't know about the descriptions of, you know, Iggy's thoughts or clothing or everything. I think a lot of it with the movie. Right. You'll get a more intimate detail I think a lot of it the with the movie is just, you know, Mary Stuart Masterson's performance and acting choices and costuming just other things and you know without a really in-depth interview with the people involved i don't really know how they meant for it to be portrayed but from what i've heard i think the book was just like oh they were lesbians well and also like and i read on i read the facebook page for fanny flag the the writer of the book and it's it's never like explicitly said but like she it goes into like in just in her wikipedia it says she lived with uh like two actresses for like years you know like shared a house with um hang on let me bring it up um shared a house in charlottesville with an american writer and then she also lived with a former uh bold and the beautiful actress for eight years so i mean it's never said but like this is a very much like they were roommates kind of thing in in my opinion and uh, so it feels well, like I this mean, one's a little bit more into well i it we feels i didn't say i'm not presume I'm their is, sexuality no, and, and i'm not i'm just saying it, it that's what it it you know that's what it would feel then like. i think the gender expression so, journey is more from a production standpoint than actually the book i think from what i'm gathering the book is more clearly lesbian whereas the production team was like how do we make lesbians let's make one mask and one femme Yes. And then it just comes through today with our knowledge and everything of, you know, gender and sexuality and just the spectrum. I think it shows through. Whereas in like 1991, I feel like a lot of people were just like, they're friends. Right. <laughs> and then it moved on to like, oh, yeah, they're lesbians. And, and now, you know, I watched it and was like, um. <laughs> and not every girl that wears a pantsuit is, you know, on this gender expression journey. There's just no. many tones throughout this that I'm like, that's where I get my collective idea from. Right. 
Yeah, I was like, I'm so glad Kendall's coming on because I was like, I really want to see what she thinks about some of this. And yeah, because again, like I had never seen this before, so I had no idea any of this was a part of the story, like remotely. I won't lie. I that to the cannibalism. No idea. I picked to join this topic on this movie because I thought I remembered this movie being feel good, but rewatching it, I'm like, I don't know if it's yeah, I, I thought just it was like just home. one of those feel good yes. movies. I was like, this will be so nice for New Year's. This you know feel good movie. Everybody likes it, and it is to a degree. <laughs> yeah, I was yes. like, the feel good part isn't so much the Iggy and 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 Ruth of it all. Their story is kind of in in some ways morbid. The tragedy, yeah, like the tragedy that like leads you know Evelyn Kathy Bates into like changing her life for the better. So like it, it, it's not so sh- it's very much I I was I took it as like their part is the sad part like they have you know like R- Ruth dies prematurely you know it's like horrible she, Iggy's a little girl like, what and her and Ruth watch you know Ruth's boyfriend basically and her older brother from a very short distance see him get obliterated by a train and then Ruth is in an abusive marriage. Gets out of that is with her. Her little boy gets hit by a train, loses his arm, and then she dies of cancer really early. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, what are we going to put these people through? Yeah, but I mean, that's, and that's exactly it. It's like, that's unfortunately life. Like, you don't always get, it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows. And oh, believe I me, I know that more than a lot of people, oh, no, but like, that's a lot of tragedy to deal with in a very short amount yeah. of time. <laughs> well, and it's just, but the thing is, it's like, I, I don't know. For me, this movie is always like, you can see the tragedies, but you can sometimes like, you have to remember the good things c- come too. you know, like, yes, buddy two gets hit by a train, but he survives. He loses his arm and like And he swings a bat with one arm and it's adorable. Yeah, like <laughs> And he gets hit with the ball because yeah. she, she threw it at him. And, but, but he like, didn't cry. But that's very the thing, much. it's like I don't know. I always sorry. Uh I always see it as very much like you have to take like you take the hits, but sometimes like there's good things too. Like well, yes, Ruth is in a bad relationship, but she got Buddy out of it, you know, like mm-hmm. Buddy two, like she loses Buddy one. This is so weird to say, um, like she loses Buddy one, but she gains an Iggy, you know, in a lot of ways. Like she's everything in in the story feels like it, it's happening for whatever reason, and while it's tragic, it does always like it leads everyone where they needed to be at the time i don't know it feels i have like a confession that i do not know how either of you will feel about but i hate with a passion the thought and belief of like oh everything happens for a reason because i think um, shit just happens and it's like oh yeah you're like and this is a hypothetical if i was married or something and my husband just like <laughs> got shot going to work and someone told me everything happens for a reason, they would get punched in the face. Like, no, there isn't reason. The world just crazy and shit happens. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. But I think 
I think in a lot of ways, a lot of media and a lot of movies and a lot of books, like a lot of them are fairy tales. Like they're yes. modern fairy tales. Narratively, so, like, yeah, like narratively, stuff happens it's for a, a reason. But just yeah, hearing that, like phrase... I'm not, I'm not saying like oh like if this was real life, like you know, just be happy. Everything happens for a reason. I'm so like, you know, I I don't. God I has to, a plan. I don't like honey. to believe in that because then I. You know me, I'm a control freak. I, I can't handle the idea yes. that I don't have control on my <laughs> And anal retentive. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I would not be able to handle that. So, like, I personally, I don't like the idea of, you know, of, of uh, having no control or no say over what I do and or what's going to happen. But, like, you know, in a movie, like, it's nice to see, like, for these people, you know, at least for a little bit, they get... You know, something like everything happens for them for a reason. But it's also a fairy tale. So and for a little talk. amount of time, they did have it wonderful and had a great love for roommates. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I did want to talk for a minute about Mary Louise Parker's little monologue she has after uh, it's around the time when she was just like, I'm a, when. Iggy was like, I'm as settled as I ever hoped to be. How Mary Louise Parker was talking about everything that bad ever happened to her. She always prayed and was grateful. And, you know, that whole entire thing. But if he ever came and tried to take her son from her, she would not pray. She'd break his freaking neck. Um, her performance right there. Wow. Like that whole scene with her and um mary stewart masterson was just so good like that part and but like both viewings i like literally stopped and around it and watched it again i might have it might have just been my church upbringing and stuff at just being like yeah it's all like you know for a reason god all this and it's like no not anymore and with recent events, I think maybe that's why that hit, hit me a little bit harder. But I really, really loved that scene and thought it was really powerful. And just the little, I'm as settled as I ever hoped to be from Iggy, I thought just spoke volumes, volumes. And I do not understand how people were like, they're just friends. I think it was more in the idea of she's content with the restaurant, their life. Like, they don't need more. She's just kind of settled and she's happy where she's settled where I, I personally don't think anybody should ever be settled. Um, you should always be trying to grow and be better. And I get like, that's not, Damn straight. I get like, that's not what she's saying. She's meaning like settled down and stuff, but I just feel like that's how she took it was like, I don't want to get better or bigger or anything. I'm, I'm happy with what we have here in the small town with these people fascinating i love how like three people can watch the exact same movie and have just like such different reactions to things i always think that's so cool oh hi kitty timmy daddy's recording please be good please be good i know you're just a kitten hi timmy just lay in daddy's lap and lay down okay bye um <laughs> he woke up from his nap apparently <laughs> to wanda what does it mean? I don't know, but it's my new excuse to act out. I know, just yell to Wanda and just do something reckless. Every time, and I'll be like, blame it on Kathy Bates. 
I did love Face It Girls. I'm older and I have more inch. <laughs> After that scene, I was like, that's going to be me one day. Oh, 100%. That will be you one Oh, day. down. I'm already I've, turning I've... into her. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm pretty close. <laughs> Some bitches did that to me in a parking lot after I was waiting for a space. If I had good insurance and a sturdy car, yep. <laughs> Look, being 30 on a college campus with a bunch of 18 to 21 year olds, I feel like her almost every damn day trying to get to class. Oh my god. A few months ago, I went to visit one of my friends in Idaho, and he is like finishing up schooling, and we're around the same age. He's a few months, 33? I don't know, but he's finishing up his schooling as well. And so one day we were, he had to do something at school and we were walking through the campus and I was like, these are children. Like, these are fucking children. (laughs) Oh yeah. When I started going back to school, Brandon was like, what if you find somebody else there? And I was like, what? A child? A babysitting job? (laughs) They don't even know what the Y2K was. And that was one of the biggest things in my childhood. (laughs) If you don't remember Princess Diana dying, just don't talk to me. No, seriously, if you did not have a flip phone, but like an OG flip phone, not this modern flip phone bullshit, the OGs. Right. Then no, if you didn't have a QWERTY keyboard, leave me alone. If you did not like want that pink razor, or have that pink razor. Or sidekick. If you're like, what was a pink razor? Don't talk to me, you're too young. (laughs) If you don't remember Britney Spears shaving her head, don't talk to me. Also, the older I get, the more I understand that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Several times have I just been like, let's shave the head. Yeah. That's where I'm at. (laughs) Yep. I fully understand it. I have had those moments. Sometimes you're just at Britney Spears 2007. You just get to... (laughs) <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Meltdowns are real. Uh, Also, like, this whole entire murder thing where they're trying to arrest and imprison and hang Iggy and George. What is with this trial? There's no body or anything. Like, all they have was her mentioning years before, like, I'm going to kill you because he was fucking beating his wife. Like, I'm just evidence circumstantial at best. That's my question is like, you know, in college we have to take media law. And so you get a pretty general understanding of law in itself. And how did he even file for a trial when there was no evidence? There was no case. I mean, maybe it was well, before you had to do all know? that, but I was just like agreeing with the judge the whole time. Like you don't you have, don't a, have case. a case. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you literally wouldn't even be able to arrest them. They could be, like, a person of interest. <laughs> but that is it. You're literally arresting them But it was a different time. On, what is it, circumstantial evidence where, like... They found the guy's truck, and he had been missing. There was no proof that he had been killed. He just disappeared. They found his truck, no body, and then they arrested her. Yeah, again, that's very much... it a... was a long time ago. It's fictional. And again... Alabama. But can we bring back courthouses like that where everybody's just yelling and it's just pure chaos? Oh, yes. Yes, please. But also make them not segregated. Oh, agreed. 
but bring back the fans where like the judge does something and you fan them you're like yes <laughs> like there's no ac you're just in there sweating going along for the drink. oh yeah like i have nothing to do with the trial i'm just here to fan dramatically at certain reactions she walked into the kitchen Gasp every little Ooh! bit <laughs> what's happening i don't know it's just very exciting <laughs> did you get a little chicago reference out of that too uh no <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, when he's all like, you bribe the woman with liquor. And oh, 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 yes, and I yes, was yes. Like, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. <laughs> I was like, that's what I, he said that. And I was like, yep, Chicago reference. That feels like a Chicago reference to me. <laughs> Speaking of, Big Mama uh, is going to be played by a drag queen for the first time ever on Broadway. I saw that. I was very excited. I think that's major. Especially because the Chicago Broadway show, I don't know if you know this, Kindle, but the character of um, Mary Sunshine is traditionally always played by a man. Hmm. And obviously in the movie, it was Christine Baranski and she was wonderful. But in the (laughs) show, with muscles, not that movie, but anyway, um, she's always wonderful. But yeah, in the stage show, the role of Miss Mary Sunshine, the reporter, is always played by a man, and there's like a reveal later, like where the wig gets taken off, and so it's always kind of, I don't really know, I think it is a, supposed to be a trans character, not... Leave it to men to take our jobs. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) So true. I'm just kidding. Um, Um, No, I don't know. But yeah, so I find that... I don't know a lot about Broadway growing up in Oklahoma. We don't we don't get a whole lot of that down here. <laughs> you guys have a whole show. I mean, yeah, we have a whole show and I do know a song from it, but I could probably name on... Is it the Surrey with the fringe on top? No. Or is it Oklahoma? It's Oklahoma. <laughs> Let's okay. be real. It's the most basic of them all. And sometimes I get that song mixed up with our like state song. Or maybe maybe that is our state song. I don't remember anymore. Like do states have songs? I don't know. Yeah, the states have like songs, birds, food, plant, a fucking rock, an insect. <laughs> it's weird. But uh we're so sad. I could probably name like five broad like enough broadway shows to fit on a hand and i both okay i did see one that hurts my heart so i will share the story it has to do with like kind of a no it doesn't it's a musical movie but i was obsessed with rent in my teenage years based on a broadway show it counts yes and it was the first time i saw trans and queer representation and aids representation at that um in a movie and I became obsessed with it, and my family wanted to take me out to see a show, so we went and saw Cats. And I was like, "What? This is <laughs> gonna be fucking stupid, Cats!" Like, it was the most magical show I've ever seen on this planet. <laughs> Have you seen the movie? <laughs> no. <laughs> I would like to keep that nostalgia um, intact. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was like, "Don't watch the no, movie." No, James Corden, please. <laughs> Is the poo on the bottom of the earth shoe, in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> and just keeps getting cast in everything. <laughs> I, it blows my mind. 
he's not funny, he's not musically inclined, and he's rather a kind of a facetious, arrogant dickhead from what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, like... I still think the Cats film is <laughs> high art. <laughs> I guess maybe I should get some edibles one day and just get down to it and watch it. Ooh. Oh, yeah, edibles. I was like, oh, for some reason you said edibles, and I was thinking, like, shrooms, and I was like, oh, don't do it. <laughs> well, see, me and Brandon wanted to start doing this, like, weekly or, I guess, every other week where we go and get snacks and stuff from the store and then buy, like, a really cheap dollar DVD from the bin. And I'm like, if I can watch one of them, surely I can watch Cats. Cats, especially <laughs> if you have had edibles, can be quite an enjoyable experience, like, there are movies that are a lot better and a lot worse, but I will say if there's a time and I'm scrolling through my movies, I'm like, I just don't know what to watch. I don't know what to watch and I'm stoned. I will pick cats a surprising amount of the time. <laughs> <laughs> the sad part is that's not even a lie. Like, no, it's a lot. <laughs> um, it is not like the show. So just keep them as two different. That's two different. Things. I probably will. Yeah. Um. It is. It's something. Um. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, bringing it back to Fried Green Tomatoes, <laughs> <laughs> which is based on a book, not a Broadway show. Um. And we're getting kind of the end here. Uh. I found it really moving the shot of Kathy Bates when she's walking down the nursing home hallway and all the elderly people were just sitting in their wheelchairs on visiting day, just waiting for someone. It was real. I almost started, I almost started crying. Like this movie really deals with a lot, a lot, racial injustice, sexuality stuff, gender and inequality, not on a big level of, um, I was like, what is that noise? And I'm like, I can hear my cat scratching in the litter box in the background. <laughs> um, anyway, but it also like deals with stuff with, you know, people being left in nursing homes and nobody visiting them and not, you know, abuse to the elderly, but it's still just, it deals with so much. And I'm like, why did I think this was a happy movie? Like everything in this is really fucking sad if you think about it for two seconds. Because they're smiling on the, on the <laughs> They are. <laughs> it's kind of like how I thought while you were sleeping was like a summer movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, because she's in, like, a lot of the time, sometimes the cover will not represent the movie. It seems like lately it's always like, like misleading trailers. But back then it was like really misleading posters. And I guarantee the trailer for this probably made it look all like happy and stuff too but yeah that is a really misleading poster for a movie i did not know titled fried green I tomatoes misled. i was really shocked it did not center more around fried green tomatoes <laughs> yes there are two scenes exactly involving fried green tomatoes i thought it was i mean technically they paint the sign too that says it i thought it was like yeah. a startup company and we're gonna watch these you know two moms and their two daughters go on this no <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the four women, not related at all, just <laughs> very misleading. I, like, ugh, it needs another cover. 
What would it be? A graveyard? Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've got a buddy that designs like movie posters. Like we'll like redo them. And so I'm really curious if he ever makes one on fried green tomatoes, how he would interpret that story into a poster be like that more accurately represents the film. A train graveyard. <laughs> it should. It should just be like a train and like Mary Louise Parker looking like seductively and kind of confused at Mary Stuart Masterson while Mary Stuart Masterson just is like holds a she holds a frying pan filled with fried green tomatoes <laughs> like, while they're like because that brings in the frying pan because that's the murder weapon <laughs> and the fried green tomatoes <laughs> oh my god i will say speaking of all the death in this movie ruth's death scene is so good so it, good yeah i was gonna say it's uh when I was younger, I didn't understand it as much, and I never understood why she walked away. Like, but I, I got, I got it more when I'm now. Like, oh yeah. But like when I was younger, I was like, why doesn't she stay with her? Like, why doesn't she? Why doesn't she just sit next to her and like tell the story? And then I'm like, because she can't handle it, <laughs> and because she, she can't handle she, it, she doesn't want her to see her crying or being. And, and she she's knows she's to... got to let her go, and. I don't know. I, really when I was sad. younger, I was like, "Oh, I didn't understand it as much." Yeah, I always wonder if, like, later she regretted that she didn't sit there and like hold her hand while she told the story. I feel like she did. Um, but Maybe. I also really loved the line about Miss Ruth was a lady, and a lady always knows when to leave, even though it was referring to death. I was just like. I like that. That's a nice way to look at that. Timmy, I hope you know the background of my podcast is going to have a section where I just hear you scratching furiously in a litter box. I hope you're proud. I hope you're very proud. So, uh, <laughs> who would you say the MVP of this movie is? Ooh, that's a hard call. I think they're all equally good. Um, I think... That's a really hard call. I think Jessica Tandy is adorable, and Kathy. Bates I loved her great. with her purple hair. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she looks so cute with the purple hair. Um, I don't know. I I do feel like it is, uh, like, as bratty as she is, Mary Stuart Masterson's Iggy is kind of like the heart and soul of the movie, mm-hmm. a little bit. So for me, I'm gonna go with it to Mary Stuart Masterson. I am going to disagree and say I think it's Kathy Bates. Without Kathy Bates, we would never technically be told the story. And she does bring in a lot of the humor elements while the Iggy and Ruth story is very dry and kind of depressing. And so she helps. It's a very dark story. So, yeah, I see what you mean. She carries the tone and like helps keep the flow going, in my opinion. But I'm also just obsessed with Kathy Bates. I know, she is wonderful. I really, the performance that stood out to me the most, if you haven't guessed, is Mary Louise Parker. Mary Louise Parker? Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think this is the best. Weeds obviously was amazing for her, for her comedic abilities, but I was just like, this is probably the best I've ever seen her in something that just, 
I don't know. Weeds is a very different type of performance. Um, well, she anyway. was never like she had emotional breakdowns and stuff on it, but like this is an emotional like an emotional part. This is a lot like, more of a subtle role, and it's very quiet. Exactly, it's very quiet. Like she's everything. Like so, not to bring up Sigourney, but I, you know I love to bring up Sigourney. <laughs> you do. I love like one of the things I love about Sigourney Weaver is like all of her, a, mo- a lot of her acting is behind her eyes, and that's one of the things about like you were saying her eye acting, Mary Louise Parker's, is like it's all in the eyes, and that's so hard to come across on screen because it can sometimes it'll it can feel like you're like either underacting, like you're underacting, but like that's what it when you say it with your eyes like it, it tells more of the emotion and just the way she like looks at mary stewart masterson like yeah i think it's i i yeah. agree i think she does do i think it's a very different performance for like and and i'm not like a connoisseur of <laughs> really mary a lot of it, it seems like a lot of people were giving different performances like kathy bates we were talking earlier she usually gives very strong performances and I'm not, and you know, we weren't used to seeing her like be kind of a mousy character and yeah, she comes into her own through the movie, but I'm, you know, I'm used to seeing Mary Louise Parker and really like comedic performances and comedic offbeat performances. And this was like a really subtle, dramatic performance. And I really, they're the only two examples I have in the movie. I'm not, I don't know if I've ever seen Mary Stuart Masterson in anything else. Um, she's one of those people I'm like she looks familiar but I feel like she looks familiar from just trailers in the 90s uh, <laughs> um, yeah but anyway uh, secrets in the sauce and we get the big reveal and, <laughs> and that's the movie and I have to ask you both a question I have my thoughts on it which I will reveal and Sean and I have talked about this a little bit but so I'll Mainly pose this to you, Kendall. Did you think Ninny was Iggy? Yes. It took me a minute. Because I was constantly, like, trying to think, like, is this... At first I thought it was the child. And then that came out a boy. And so just through the movie it was kind of a guessing game. And then by the end I thought it was Iggy. Okay. Sean? Oh, absolutely. Like, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, she's edgy. <laughs> and, like, now that I watch it, like, I understand it more. But, like, it's very, like, it's such a very strange ending to this movie. Because it's very, like, it's, it. I feel like they, and I feel like the director left it ambiguous. And I don't think it should have been ambiguous. <laughs> like, what, like, she says the whole movie, like, she's telling the stories and, like, Ninny's not in them, which kind of drives me crazy because it's just like she's just telling this, these stories that she's not te- like she's there, but she's just not there. And, and she acts like, you know, she's been told these, but I will say I I don't think Ninny is edgy because she talks about, you know, having a child. She talks about having a crush on Buddy and Iggy was Buddy's brother. Um, or Buddy Jr. So... that would be weird because she (laughs) raised him um and i just with what we know of edgy i don't see her anyway and she says like she's like their sister-in-law or whoever 
But the way the movie sets it up, it's like, you know, it tells us this information, which apparently is more clear in the books. There is actually like a character of Nini in the books that interacts with Iggy that they decided not to in the movie. And so with her not being Iggy, and they could have changed it. They could have had her be Iggy in the movie, but they still gave us this details of like, oh, no, it couldn't be. And then that ambiguous ending of like, well, maybe we will see her today. And like Kathy Bates looks all like understanding and smiles. And then it ends. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> why did they do that? It's really frustrating. I'm like, Nini is not edgy, but they were just like, or is she? <laughs> um, yeah, it just, it seems because so, I remember the first time I watched it and I was like, oh, so she's edgy. And then the next time I watched it, I was like, oh, she's n- not edgy. <laughs> And now I watch it and I'm just like, she's not edgy, but like, why did they do this? Like, what was the director thinking? Well, they even make Jessica Tandy's itchy, or Nini, kind of have mannerisms and react the same way as Iggy would. Kind of. Like, when she sees Kathy Bates and she gets excited, like, that's how Iggy gets really excited. It's just frustrating to me. I don't know why they gave it an ambiguous ending that's, like, not actually ambiguous, but they filmed it to feel ambiguous. <laughs> and it's just frustrating. Fried green ambiguity. I'm leaving it on the director. Good old fried green tomatoes. Um, Probably why he doesn't have that big of a filmography. <laughs> this is one of them. Um, so, were there any final thoughts or further discussion either one of you wanted to go into on this movie before we go into like our scores and little things no uh yes one thing i i forgot my favorite scene um the scene where uh tawanda (laughs) i when i was a kid that so you know always stuck out to me because i'm uh, we're going in deep on this one but like I have problems asserting myself and like I'm very much a people pleaser. And so the scene where she <laughs> rams the the women's car <laughs> with her car and then goes face a girl's I have more insurance. <laughs> oh yeah, you were you had stepped away for a second when Kendall and I were talking about that oh, scene. I'm sorry. I, was like... <laughs> I didn't realize you no, talked about it. No, it's fine. Sorry. I was like, "Oh, man, I wish you I, would... <laughs> I needed to bring it up. Sorry." Uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's fine. That was... That's fine. I'm glad that's you got to give your input because <laughs> my favorite scene of the movie. <laughs> sorry. Uh, we on. were That was it. We what you missed us say we were like yeah get get it Kathy Bates we're already halfway there <laughs> oh um but yeah aside from Tawanda whatever that means <laughs> did you have anything else <laughs> no I'm I'm good <laughs> so uh, out of five what would you give this. For your personal score, Sean. Ooh, um, I would probably give this. I don't know. I, I don't know. I I, I waver between a three point five and a four. Probably a three point five. Um, I enjoy it. I like Steel Magnolias better. If I'm gonna watch a Southern Charm movie, um, just because I think that one's a little bit more. Uh, just a little bit more fun but i think everybody in this movie is doing like a great job i think the four main actresses are fantastic um and i think there's a lot of heart to this movie but i think some of it is a little eh, it's not as 
I don't know. Like I said, I'd rather watch Steel Magnolias. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a 3.5. Drink your juice. Uh, what about you, Kendall? Yes, exactly. I agree. I don't want to, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> don't talk about me like I'm not here. <laughs> uh, I have to agree with Sean. I'm stuck between a 3.5 and a 4. I'll give it a 3.5 as well. Um, I definitely think it is portrayed as a feel-good movie, but it, I don't know. I cried a lot. But Kate Hudson once said, a great movie uh, means you feel all the emotions, and you definitely feel that in this movie. So I think it was good. I think you have to be in the mood for it because it does have some heavy tones to right. it. Yes. Agreed. Timmy, don't you knock my PlayStation 5 down. That is not a cool kitty. Um, so initially when I watched this, surprisingly enough, I first watched it in the middle of the night one night. And so it really hit that spot, you know, when you're watching something late at night and you just kind of want something just like going to, you're already exhausted and just makes you feel a lot of things. I initially gave this a 4.5 because I was like, this is doing a lot of interesting things, talking about a lot of interesting topics. And for the time period that it was made in and set in, I was like, it was doing it sensitively. As we've talked about it, it has dropped some. I'm going to say a four. Um, Because it's not perfect. But I did really like the performances a lot, which um, mainly is what's driving that score. I really liked the performances. Like, really, really liked them. And it was very emotional. It's not something I think I would watch very often, but I'll keep it in my, like, if you want to cry and be kind of depressed during a movie and laugh a few times, um, it's definitely, like, one of those tearjerker things. I'm shocked that, like, so many people, like, love this. I get that for a certain generation, you know, this is one of those few movies with a very obvious queer read. And that is very important. And... When I did see that, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Why, like, all these queer people I know love fried green tomatoes. Um, but watching it now and not having seen it years ago, I did not think it was as amazing outside of the aforementioned performances. So I'm going with the four. It was made for $11 million, made $119 million worldwide. So people liked it. Um so, Kendall, are you familiar with the Letterboxd app? Yeah, a little bit. Um. Anyway, so I always do this little game at the end and have Sean guess what the average Letterboxd rating is for a film, and they go out of five um, and see how close he can get to what the Letterboxd community has. You are welcome to guess as well, but you don't have to. Um, Sean, what do you think this movie is? average score on letterboxes Ooh, that's a hard one um i do feel like a lot of people really do love this movie and you do hear about it a lot um i'm sh- i'm gonna shoot for a 3.4 all right kendall care to weigh in a guess i was gonna say a 3.5 but i'll go with 4.0 it is a 3.8 really mm-hmm. wow yeah i was surprised i was very surprised for the letterbox community to give it a 3.8 because you know famously if it has a 3.9 it is a perfect film but yeah that is what it is on letterbox 
Kendall, thank you so much for coming on. I love talking to you, and it's been so, such a long time since I got into and to really get into this and some of the topics we got to cover. I so amazing. Thank you so much. Do you have anything you want to plug that you're doing or where people can find you on social media? Yeah, you can just find me on Twitter at Kendall Walton PR. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, do you have anything coming up? Not currently, but I'm always open to invitations to speak or present on podcasts to colleges, um, companies, things like that. So my inbox awesome. is always open for that and any, um, questions you might have about gender identity yeah awesome because i know uh, that is something people need to be informed about and it's nice to have a safe space that people can talk or ask questions so can you repeat one more time your twitter yeah it's kendall walton pr k-e-n-d-a-l-l-w-a-l-t-o-n-p-r remember that guys that's where you want to tweet to find out all the details if you want to find us on our socials we are on twitter at triple m pod with three m's i am at just happy to see you number two letter c letter u sean you are at uh smurf zero one three smurph zero one three i just forgot my own twitter handle sorry (laughs) i was like that's funny (laughs) i was Um, like uh wonderful (laughs) See, you need to be on social media more often, Sean, so you don't forget your own Twitter handle. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I'm not feeling good. I don't know I where know. my phone I'm is. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, you can also find us both on Letterboxd. I am just the same as on Twitter at just happy to see you, number two, letter C, letter U. And Sean is at Murph the Smurf, M-U-R-P-H-T-H-E-S-M-U-R-P-H. We have an Instagram, hottest thing there triple m pod with three m's just like on twitter we have a facebook page men who like men who like movies and if you want to reach us by email for any reason our email address is listen carefully men who like men who like movies pod at gmail.com nice and short um sean i know you have something to plug that you have done recently i do oh yeah (laughs) 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 <laughs> sorry he really I, doesn't feel good today I, people <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was like i am not on all cylinders right now sorry um yeah i recently was on um a podcast called titanic talk line um and i went and we talked about the movie titanic and a little bit about some of the changes that were made after the titanic sank and i talked about how many mashed potatoes i made for thanksgiving Oh, fun. <laughs> I know how many of that was. It I can't was a believe, lot. <laughs> I cannot believe you confessed that on air to someone. <laughs> it had happened, I, like, literally the day before. So it's like, it's still new. <laughs> awesome. I have listened to most of it. I have not finished it yet because time, but it is quite entertaining. Check it out. Titanic Talkline podcast. Um, Sean, what are we watching next week? Oh, so next week is going to be our start of the new year. Welcome 2023. And in honor of New Year, New You, we're going to do one of my favorite remakes of all time. Although we can talk about it a little bit. It's technically a remake slash sequel. 
right. Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. Fuck yeah, we are. It's a good one. And um, please don't forget to give us a five-star rate, maybe even a review if you have the time. It helps so, so much. And going into the new year, maybe be a little bit like Iggy and just live your authentic self unapologetically. You'll feel great. And again, thank you so much, Kendall, for coming. I had such a fun time. I cannot speak for Sean, but I think he did too. <laughs> I, I had hope... a fantastic time. Don't uh... <laughs> Of course I did. Thank you both for having me. Uh, I would love to have you on again at some point. Um, if you would ever want to, you are more than welcome. Um, to Wanda. Yeah, that's to a Wanda. Great way to to Wanda. <laughs> um, so until next time, I guess we can all tell you goodbye. Bye. Bye. See you next time. Bye.